Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Lord, we we look to you, delight in you, Lord, open your word to, to meet with you and talk with you. Holy Spirit, will you come and let us hear the words of the Lord spoken to us through the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we give you our attention. Lord, we give you our devotion. We give you our lives and our affection. And would you stir up in us your truth that we would cling to you as blessing and not what the world provides, Lord. That we would fix our attention and our love upon the God who saves. We pray that you would lead us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what does it mean to live a blessed life? Psalm starts, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers. But what does it mean to live a blessed life? Well, it depends almost entirely on what you believe life is for. Think of it like a road trip. Imagine you are preparing for a road trip. What makes for a good road trip. For me, it's like the people, the snacks, and the music. Like that makes for a good road trip, right? No traffic, no breakdowns, no accidents. Everyone has to go to the bathroom at the same time, so you're not making inopportune stops, right? And a good road trip requires that you actually get to where you intended to go, Imagine going on a road trip with friends and ending up in South Dakota when you'd prepared for a surf trip in Baja. Not a successful road trip. You went went the wrong way. You have to actually get to where you are going. And so a good road trip must take into consideration the intended purpose of the road trip. And a good life, a blessed life must consider the same. Like a road trip, you can curate your life, right? You can uh, come up with the playlist and choose the snacks and where you eat uh, and, and, and what foods you like and what friends you eat with. You have the opportunity to curate aspects of your life. You can do your best to avoid, you know, undesirable breakdowns or Uh, bathroom emergencies in life, preferably. Like that would be good for a blessed life. Like no bathroom emergencies. But what if you never get where you're going? What if in life you actually never accomplish what you were made for? You actually never fulfill the purpose you were created to fulfill. What if you never live inside of your design? See, the Psalm gives us a vision for the blessed life and invites us to pursue it. It's like a tree planted where it was meant to be planted, 
And so the tree does what it was meant to do. It bears fruit. Its leaf doesn't wither. It lives. It flourishes as it was meant to. See, the author assumes something that maybe not everyone in this room assumes, and that is that life has a purpose. Your life has a purpose. Your life has value. Your life has meaning. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, your life has a purpose. And that purpose is set by someone other than yourself. See, the psalmist and every other biblical author assumes the existence of an all-powerful, wise, good, creator God. And he made everything in this world with purpose. And to live our lives for any purpose other than the one that he has established will hinder our flourishing. Like driving the wrong direction or imagine being on a road trip and whoever's driving just thinks it's funny to to ride on that side of the shoulder with the grooves that make your car feel like it's going to vibrate into pieces. My dad called it driving by Braille. This is going to be a bummer of a road trip. Imagine uprooting a tree from its it's it's a place where it's found its life and planting it in the desert. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to flourish. The Psalm also assumes something that I don't know if everyone in this room assumes. And that is that God wants you to live a blessed life. God made you with a purpose and he wants to bless his people. He, wa- he loves giving his children good gifts. He wants us to live a blessed life, but that means we need to live according to his intended purpose. And to know what that purpose is, God has given us good instruction, but there's a lot of bad instructions out there. There's some terrible instruction out there in the world floating around about what it means to be human and what it means to live a good life and what it means to be happy. And so the psalmist says that the key to a blessed life is pursuing godly instruction. The blessed life pursues godly instruction. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See, pursuing the blessed life is not only seeking godly instruction, seeking godly influence, but it's also rejecting the bad instruction, the bad influence. Think about your desire to pursue a healthy lifestyle, right? If you want to start being healthy, living healthy, eating healthy, it doesn't matter how often you exercise or that you drink a kale smoothie for breakfast every morning. It counts for nothing if you're eating McDonald's every other meal of the day. If you want to be healthy, yes, you need to put good things into your body. You need to to do good things for your body, but you got to cut out the garbage. You got to cut out the garbage as well, or else you're never going to be healthy. And so the same is true for our, our physical health, our spiritual health, right? If we want to be spiritually healthy, yes, we need good instruction, good teaching, good truth, good influences, but we got to cut the garbage out as well. Otherwise, we're like, we're like fresh water mixed with salt water. It's, still, it's, not, it's just not... It's not, it's not good. You can't drink it. So we need to pursue health 
not only by pursuing good influences, but by cutting out the so many other ways that we're often influenced in a way that's diametrically opposed to what God wants for us. Many ways that we're influenced by, whether it's the, the music we listen to, the podcasts we listen to, the films we watch, the magazines we read, they all paint a picture of worldly blessedness that defines who we should be, how we should look, how we should act, the things that we have, the vacations we should take, the cars we should drive, the friends we should keep. It all paints this picture of worldly blessedness based on a standard for your life that they are trying to set for you, whoever they is, culture, right? It's based in, in, a, in an idea for your life, an intention for your life and your body that's probably different than the one God has for you. And this doesn't mean that it's sinful to enjoy music or sinful to enjoy film that's not explicitly Christian. It just means we need to be aware of how it may be influencing us. Be aware of the influences. And there's multiple degrees to which people experience ungodly influence. The first way that the psalmist says is the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Um, so three verbs, three postures the psalmist uses here. Walk, stand, and sit. We do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This means to allow the direction of our steps to be influenced by the values of the world rather than the values of Christ. To, to be influenced in, in how we live by the values of culture and not the values of Scripture. To use the driving metaphor again, if you've ever driven through an area with high winds, I have family that live in northern Santa Barbara County, so I drive through Gaviota quite a bit. And if you've ever driven through Gaviota during high winds, I mean, like you got to stay on the road. The winds blow through that pass, and like if you're, you'll end up driving through the campgrounds if you're not careful. You've got to, you've got to fight the wind to stay on the road. And so as believers, people who are trying to live our lives for the value of, of, of Christ, we have to be aware that as we, as we live our lives in this world, we're fighting winds. We're fighting the, the, the winds and the philosophies and the values of culture that try to push on us. And so we've got to keep our eyes fixed on the road and fixed on the destination and not be led astray by the counsel of the wicked. We've got to stay on the road. To stand in the way of sinners is a slightly more resolved posture, right? It's, it's, it, it, throughout scripture, to stand means to, to stand fixed. And so while we may be careful not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, we also need to recognize those areas in our lives where we've become comfortable outside of God's design or outside of God's desire for us, comfortable in our sin. Maybe we're obstinate to that which would move us from it. So it's like stopping at a tourist trap on your road trip and refusing to move from there. I just spent a couple days in Palm Desert with my family this week, and I love the dinosaurs at Cabazon as much as the next guy, but I want to get to the pool. That's, I don't, we can, yes, we can stop there, but if my kids were like, when are we going to go to the hotel? I'm like, never look at the dinosaur. He's wearing a mask. I don't know if you've driven past Cabazon in a while. I don't know if it's still wearing a mask. It used to be wearing a mask. We don't stop at the tourist traps and, and, and stay there without moving on. We've got a destination. 
We want to get to where we are going. And so how do we know if we're walking in ungodly counsel or standing in the way of sinners? Well, how do you respond when confronted by scripture, by the Holy Spirit, by a friend in your life who says, hey, this thing in your life here, I don't know if that's good for you. I don't know if that's what the Lord wants for you or flat out, hey, this is sin in your life. And and God does not desire that for you. He does not bless that. Do you justify sin? Do you make excuses for why it's not wrong or why at this point in your life, it's just a necessary evil? Are you becoming numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in certain instances? If if that's you, then your, your feet may be becoming slightly more firmly fixed in the way of sinners than you might imagine. And so you may still want to pursue Jesus. You still may acknowledge who he is and and what he's done, but you're becoming numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and, and you've given the world a louder voice in your life in certain areas. It's very easy to move from walking according to the counsel of the wicked to standing in the way of sinners and being slightly more resolved. To sit in the seat of scoffers would be the height of arrogance and sin. This person is no longer just comfortable in their sin, but have consciously chosen it over and against the law of the Lord. And now they no longer merely participate, but to sit is to take the position of a teacher. Back in the first century, um, today we live in a world where teachers stand and students sit in classrooms, in in a variety of places. Uh, But in the ancient world, the teacher sat and the pupils stood around the teacher. And so to sit in the seat of a scoffer is to take the position of a teacher. And so now you no longer participate in it, but you actively participate in the misleading of other people. Concerning those who lead others into sin, Jesus said it would be better for them to have a large millstone tied around their neck and drowned in the sea. Death, even an an incredibly uh, dreadful death, Jesus said would be better than the consequences that will come from leading people into sin, from sitting in the seat of scoffers. Now, the truly frightening thing is that walking, standing, sitting, is a, is, a, is, a, is a progression. Once we get comfortable in one area, we can let ourselves stay in that area and take a seat in that area. It's a very natural progression. And so once we find ourselves in any of these postures of ungodliness, we need to respond quickly lest we get carried away in that sin or that ideology or whatever else it may be and, and we, get, we get swept away. If you're here and you've been struggling in your faith, then I want you to consider, according to whose counsel have you been walking? Who who are you listening to? What voice are you giving uh, volume to louder than scripture? Or what voice has, has become your sole interpreter of scripture? Who are you listening to? What camp In what camp are you standing in? Whether that's um, spiritually, uh, uh, a theological tradition, a um, a, a political uh, party, um, some social camp, some subculture. um, Whose camp are you standing in? Who are you associating with? Who are you participating with? 
And whose instruction are you repeating? Whose words are in your mouth when you talk about spirituality, when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about faith and the authority of scripture, when you talk about church, whose words are you finding yourself repeating? Is it a person following Jesus or have they already given up on Jesus? Could be an indication of where you're headed as well. To quote pastor and theologian D.A. Carson, who when counseling people struggling in their faith always asks the same two questions. Who are you reading and with whom are you sleeping? Who are you reading and with whom are you sleeping? Whose influence are you receiving and whose admiration do you desire? Because those whose influence we seek after and those whose admiration we desire will have an impact on the way we live our lives beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And if those words are not Christ's and that admiration, that, that love, that, uh, that acceptance does not come from God, we will find it in someone else. And that person may not lead us into the blessed life, but away from it. Then where do we go for godly instruction? Where do we go for godly counsel regarding this blessed life? The psalmist contrasts these negative postures with the posture of a blessed life. He says, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. The blessed life is one that is influenced by the law of the Lord. This word law is the Hebrew word Torah. It's the theological technical term for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is the Torah. It's the law. But a, a, a better translation for our understanding, the way we think of, of law, it, it doesn't make the most sense. The, a better translation is instruction, right? All five books of those Bible, it's not all law. The law is there, but it is all instruction, it is all instruction about where life came from, what life is for, and how to live a life of faith which pleases, which pleases God. It's instruction. It's instruction to us. And so on this side of the cross, the Lord's instruction to us is Christ. He came to fulfill the law on our behalf and die as a substitute for lawbreakers. So what does it mean for us to delight in the law of the Lord? Look, Leviticus is beautiful. I love, I actually, I'm not even joking. I love the book of Leviticus. Without the book of Leviticus, we would not know how impossible it is to live a, a holy life. We would not know the beauty of the sacrifice that Christ made as the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. It is beautiful. But Leviticus very rarely stirs our affections when we read it. Leviticus is the book where you drop off in your reading plan of the Bible throughout the year. It, it, it's not like the, oh, Leviticus, I just, no one ever answered. What's your favorite book of the Bible? Leviticus, no one, ever. It's a good book, but it doesn't stir our affections every time we read it. Rather, delighting in God's law is delighting in the whole of God's word, which ultimately points us to delighting in the word that became flesh. The way we delight in the law of the Lord is by delighting in Jesus because Jesus fulfilled the law of the Lord. Jesus put on display what a life looks like that is obedient to the law of the Lord. And so if we want to see what the law looks like played out in a blessed life, we look at Jesus. We delight in the law of the Lord by delighting 
in Jesus, by pursuing Jesus as our ultimate desire. And when we do, all other counsel loses its wisdom. It loses its value when we realize that we have the ear and the word of God himself. Everything else, every other treasure, everything of value pales in comparison to what we have in Christ. And so believing that Jesus is the source of blessing, the scripture says that we meditate on the word of God. Now, biblical meditation is not some like mystical mind dump, right? It's not this like navel gazing where we like reject everything outside and we find the answers to the universe in ourselves, right? It's not transcending uh, the material world and, and, and participating in some, you know, some other spiritual world. That's, that's transcendental meditation. The Bible doesn't talk about transcendental meditation. Biblical meditation is not an emptying of the mind. It's a filling of the mind. It's not an emptying of the mind. It's filling it with God's word. It's, it's meditating on scripture. It's reading the scriptures. It's, it's mulling it over, uh, memorizing it, reflecting on it. This is a little bit gross, but another word for meditate is ruminate, right? Like we can ruminate. Do you know where the word ruminate comes from? An animal that's a ruminant. Someone just said it, cows. Ruminants are animals that chew the cud, right? They chew it, they swallow it, and they chew it again. We ruminate on the scriptures. We chew it. We get the nutrients from it. Right? We hear what God wants to say to us. And then we chew it again. And we get everything we can out of it. We meditate on the word of God. It's biblical meditation is filling our minds with God's word. And so when we focus our mind on God's word, when we focus our mind on God's character, when we focus our mind on God's promises, yes, all of the other cares and concerns in the world find their place in order of priority when we emphasize the God who is preeminent in our lives. We naturally meditate on the things that we desire. We naturally meditate on the things that we want. Think about the content of your daydreams, right? What do you fill your mind with? The things that we long for, the things that we, we desire, our hopes and dreams. The psalmist says, God is your hope and your dream. God's word is what we meditate on, what we fill our minds with. The blessed person is one who delights in God's law. And so they naturally spend time reading, memorizing, and reflecting on God's word. And when we do, we're blessed. And the blessed life produces good fruit. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. We were made to enjoy communion with God. We asked the question, uh, what, what does it mean to live a blessed life? And that it depends on, on what we believe life is for. Well, life is for communion with God. Life is for intimacy with God. Life is for living in this partnership with the Lord who, who is, 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 is blessing and intended to Edenize the world, to make the world this garden paradise where life can flourish. And he chose his human image bearers to be his hands and feet in the world to do that as we put our faith in him and trust in him and follow his, 
his uh, uh, leading and his commandments and, and, and rely on him for everything. We live a life that pleases him and we show the world what he is like and it produces flourishing in the world. We were made to enjoy communion with God and like a tree that was made to absorb water and nutrients from the ground, we were made to receive our life and our vitality from our intimacy with God. And when we live according to this design, we bear fruit. If we're planted in godly instruction, our lives will bear good fruit. The fruit of our lives comes from being connected to the source of life. And so the, the, the product of being connected to God, the fruit of being connected with God in intimacy is, 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 is worship and good works and ministry and love and Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits of the Spirit, they come naturally when we're putting all of our contentment, all of our desire in God. It doesn't come from mustering up our efforts to like rallying the troops and just, you know, giving an A for effort, doing our, our, our best job. Ever, you know, walked through a, a you know, like a, maybe you've got, fruit trees in your yard, right? You've never once heard the fruit tree grunting like a weightlifter trying to produce an apple. I've got an avocado tree in my my backyard, as many of you do. And if you're ever walking past that avocado tree and you hear like, avocado, like don't eat the avocado. It's bad news, right? Something is terribly wrong with that tree. The fruit comes naturally. It receives the nutrients from the ground. It receives the water from the ground and it produces fruit because that's what it is. It's a tree. It's a fruit bearing tree. And your life was designed to bear good fruit. And it does as you are connected to the life and vitality you were made to have in Christ. Fruit in our lives come naturally when we're enjoying Jesus. The truth is many of our attempts to be on mission or to do ministry um, looks more like we've nailed a sign to a dead tree saying like, this is a tree uh, rather than it is just an actual like flourishing tree. The, the, The greatest evangelism, the best mission, the greatest ministry is not, um, doesn't come by the the most skilled pastors or preachers or professional ministers. It comes from average, ordinary Christian men and women living lives that are flourishing in love with Jesus. That is the best evangelism, the best ministry, the best thing you can ever do on mission with Jesus is just enjoy him and enjoy him publicly and invite others to enjoy him with you. That's all it is. We don't have to overcomplicate it. Just worship Jesus in a way that invites others to worship him with you. Delight in Jesus. Declare how good he is. Demonstrate how good he is to those around you. That is is a life that will bear fruit. Compare that to the produce of the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is that thin husk around a, a grain that's separated in the process of threshing. And then in, in winnowing, the chaff and the, and the, the grain are, are on the ground and they take a, a large like, pitchfork and they throw it up in the air and the denser seed falls to the ground, but the wind picks up the chaff and carries it away. And that's how you separate the, the chaff from the grain. And so in other words, 
the product, what the life of wickedness produces is of no substance. It's emptiness. It's vain. It's good for nothing. Um, John the Baptist said it's good for nothing but to be taken up and burned. Uh, It's hollow. It's two ways of life led by two opposite influences ending in two very different results. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But sometimes, if we're honest, in life, one plus one does not always equal two. Sometimes in life, we know these things to be true in Scripture. And so we do them. We delight in the Lord. We read our Bibles. We pray. We love one another. We go to church. We worship. We take communion. We repent of sin. We do all of the things that we believe a righteous life should do, but our circumstances don't look all that blessed. And then we know people who have no desire to delight themselves in the Lord, to pursue Christ, to seek God's values. And it seems like they've got it made. And we look at this psalm and we go, what's going on? I'm doing all of the things. And then we know people that we, that we love who are seeking God and, and tragedy strikes their family. Tragedy strikes their health. Tragedy strikes their marriage. They, 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 they love the Lord and they, they're victims of injustice or, or death comes suddenly or disaster befalls those that they know and love. And, and, and maybe you're here today and that's your experience. And you're like, God, I'm coming to you with your Bible in hand going, I'm reading God, I'm praying, I'm going to church, I'm doing all of these things that you told me would happen. And where's the blessing? Where's the blessing, God? What am I doing wrong? Maybe you're here today and that's your experience. You're like, yeah, 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 I know what the word says. But one plus one isn't isn't equaling two in my life. Make sense of that. What do we do when life seems to contradict this psalm? You got to know firsthand, first off, that you're in good company. You're in good company. The psalmist wrestles with this throughout the Psalms. Jeremiah goes before the Lord and says, God, I know that you're righteous, but please explain this to me. Why do the righteous perish and the wicked prosper? Why why is this my experience in, in life? You're in good company. The biblical authors wrestled with this tension. I know God to be true but my circumstances are also kind of garbage and I don't know how to make the two ends meet. The blessed life is not necessarily an easy life. See, often we quote that proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And we say, okay, God, why isn't my path straight? I would argue straight path is not necessarily an easy path doesn't say that I will make your path easy. It says you will just, you'll know where to go. You put one foot in front of the other and I'll get you there. And it might be hard. It might be difficult. It might be treacherous. But it's straight ahead. Just keep walking. The blessed life is not necessarily an easy life. And so we come to the last verse of the psalm. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
If we would live a blessed life, we have to pursue godly instruction. We will produce good fruit. But the key to to all of this, especially in a world where sometimes this doesn't seem to make sense, is that the key to both of these is to be rooted in Jesus. The blessed life is rooted in Jesus. See, I said we're in good company. We're in good company with the psalmist. We're in good company with the, 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 the prophets. We're in good company with Jesus. See, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He walked the way of the righteous. Faith in Jesus is the way of the righteous, and anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But listen to this. This this last verse of the psalm gives clarity the first verse of the psalm, because Jesus is the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Jesus is the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. See, Jesus demonstrates that life is for living in communion with God, and the fruit of that life is putting the character of God on display for all to see. And so when we root ourselves in communion with Jesus, we also produce godliness. But what God values often contradicts what the world values, and so there's going to be friction in the blessed life. We are in good company because Jesus is not just a blessed man who did all of these things, but he is the blessed man who did all of these things. And so the psalmist creates two categories. There is a blessed man and there is the wicked. And so what category are we in? The only only one who deserves the blessing is Jesus. He's the only one that did it right. We're all in the category of the wicked. And yet... When Jesus deserved to be like a tree planted by streams of water, he was nailed to a tree instead. So that we who deserved to die a sinner's death receive a righteous blessing. And as we are rooted in Christ and in his values and and start to produce fruit according to his values, we will recognize, as Jesus recognized, that God's values often contradict the world's values. The world doesn't like that. The world did with Jesus exactly what they intended to do with him. They got rid of him because they didn't like what he stood for. And so if we are rooted in Christ because he is our delight, and we produce fruit because that's what naturally comes when we're rooted in the source of life, Know that your blessed life will not be an easy life. Your blessed life will come with friction. See, in the same way that Jesus was rejected by the world, so will we be. We will also be rejected by the world. And if you want to be blessed by the world, then don't follow Jesus. If what you want is worldly praise and worldly affirmation and worldly comforts, and that is what you are truly after, then don't follow Jesus. He was rejected by the world, but also as he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit and lives forever in perfect communion and intimacy with God the Father, 
then through faith in him, know that so will you be. You may be rejected by the world as he was, but you will be raised from the dead as he was. And you will be as one planted by streams of water, living water, whose leaf does not wither, producing fruit in its season, perfect intimacy and contentment in Christ. That is what this word blessed means. It means content, happy and content. Happy is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Content is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but delights himself in the law of the Lord. The pursuit of a blessed life must be a pursuit of Jesus. This world will pursue all sorts of other things that it calls blessings, but the fruit it produces is empty chaff. But if you follow Jesus and you delight yourself in him, he is a river of life that you become deeply rooted in. And though the world can be harsh, your leaf will not wither. The fruit you produce will be good fruit that the world will see and give glory to your father in heaven and your life will be blessed because you will be living the life that you are made for. Finally, living the life that you were made to live, not just as a generic human being, but as you. You, where you sit, were made for a purpose that participates in the purpose of God's family, that participates in the purpose of God's people, but you were made specifically, gifted specifically to build up the body of Christ, to, the, to, to bring maturity to the body of Christ, to bring blessing to the body of Christ. You are blessed to be a blessing. I don't, I, I don't wanna say I don't care what's going on in your life. I know that there is tragedy in lots of your lives when you feel like you have nothing to offer, I I want you to know you are blessed to be a blessing. Your presence here is valued. Your presence here among the body of Christ is a blessing. You have something to offer, even if it's just the sincerity of your heart, casting yourself at Jesus' feet and showing everyone else in here that he is worthy of your praise, even when life is hard. Through faith in Jesus, you are blessed and you are blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray together. Jesus, apart from you, we have no good. It's that simple. Lord, we need your grace. We need your power. We need your forgiveness. We need your love. And so God, right now, Lord, we long for blessing. Lord, we long for happy, content lives. May we find it in you. Lord, may all of our purpose, all of our delight, all of our desires, all of the tension that we experience in life, may it find its resolution when we look in your face and recognize that, Lord, we don't deserve blessing, but you give it anyway. I pray that that truth that beautiful truth that the death we deserve you took and the life you deserve you gave to us. I pray that that truth would stir up affection in our hearts and we would experience, Lord, every blessing you give through the the, the lens of, of Christ being our greatest treasure, the greatest blessing, the greatest thing we have is you, Jesus. I pray 
God, that you would empower us to respond to all of these things as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.